So this morning we are looking at John 6, 1 through 15. John 6, 1 through 15. So this, this will be the first. We're going to hang out in one chapter of, of the Bible for about four weeks. It is John chapter 6. Uh, so uh, when you go home today, read the whole thing and read it again and read it again over and over. Get familiar with it because we're going to hang out here. Uh, I want to I let you know that <clears throat> this morning is sort of like an introduction to what we're going to be talking about over the next four weeks. We're sort of just dipping our toe in the water a little bit uh, and we'll go deeper and deeper every, every week. There's sort of a progression that we're going to be taking over the next four weeks. So uh, if you miss a week, uh, you're going to miss some some of the progression, so don't. Um, this is my encouragement to you. Um, and uh, I think it'll be fun. So John 6, 1 through 15, before we, again, we're just going to, this is an intro. It might be even a little bit shorter. No one's going to complain about that, uh, but we're just dipping our toe in uh, this morning. John 6, 1 through 15, let's pray. God, thank you uh, for your word, for this book, for for the way your, your spirit works in us so that somehow we so that somehow we hear your voice through through all of this. So we pray that you would open us up again. Help us to to hear whatever it is you want us to hear. In Jesus' name. Amen. John six, starting at verse one. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. So Jesus has been doing some things, healing some people, and people were like, oh my goodness, great crowds were following him. Because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for all of these people to eat? He asked them only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was about to do. Philip answered him, eight months wages would not buy enough food for everyone to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's this, here's this boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down. The women and children probably sat down too. I don't know why they kept that from us. So 5,000 men plus women and children, 10, 12, 15,000 people. Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to the, his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, nothing, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, 
Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they had intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So he does this thing and they're like, let's make him king. That's just good stuff, isn't it? I mean, Jesus takes five loaves of bread and two fish and he multiplies them and he feeds tons and tons of people. Like it's one of the most, it's one of the most impressive things, I think, that he does in the, recorded in Scripture. Like that's impressive, isn't it? In fact, it's so impressive that aside from the resurrection, uh, which is probably more impressive, but aside from the resurrection, it's the only miracle that is recorded in all four of the stories about Jesus in the Bible, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the only one that's recorded aside from the resurrection, right? And I don't know if you're like me, but I read this story and I'm like, yes, I want more of that. I want more of that, Jesus. Give us more of those stories because those are the ones that wow us. They make us go, oh my goodness, but what's really going on in this story and the stories that are going to follow? What's happening here? Again, introduction we're dipping our toe in first before we get into it. We have this tradition in our house. It's probably a lot like traditions in your house as well. Uh, whenever anybody has a birthday in our house, the birthday person gets to choose where we go to eat to celebrate their birthday. Does anybody else have a tradition similar to this? Right. Where did that start? Who started that? I don't know, but like everybody does it. You have a birthday, you go out and celebrate. Well, in our house, like the conversation about this starts early. It starts like four or five days before the birthday comes. We'll ask the birthday person, where do you think you're going to go to eat? And four or five days out, the person starts thinking about it. And we're all, and most of the time we have like four or five different restaurants that we're thinking about going to. And then we don't leave it there. Every day leading up to the birthday, we ask, have you narrowed it down? Do you know where we're going to go? And most of the time, nope, don't know yet, but I've got these, these are my options. And then we'll get to the day, right? And the pressure is on because you have to choose where are we going to eat. And sometimes we just don't know. The birthday person doesn't know. So then we'll start talking about it. We'll try to help the birthday person. And sometimes uh, they'll be, they, do you like my use of the birthday person all the time? It's funny. Anyway, um, so the birthday person will, will start narrowing it down, right? Well, Mike or, or dad really doesn't like that restaurant so much, so let's kick that one out. Let's, let's put that one aside, which is really nice and generous. We play as a team, as a family. Uh, and then just sometimes it gets so hard that we can't narrow it down. And then somebody at some point will ask the all-important question, what are you hungry for? If it's pizza, let's go get pizza. If it's chicken nuggets, let's go get chicken nuggets or fingers or whatever. If it's, you know, a sandwich place, what are you hungry for? Have you ever been with a group of people? Maybe it's your family, a group of friends, and you're like, let's all go out to eat. And then you, ha you struggle to figure out where you're going to go to eat. And somebody asks the question, well, what are we hungry for? What are you hungry for? It's not always an easy question to answer, is it? Sometimes it's really hard, but that's the question we're going to ask the crowd in this story this morning. What 
are you hungry for? It's such a great question. It touches all of us. What are you hungry for? It's a question that we all have to answer at some point in our lives because hunger is universal. Right? From the moment we're born, what are we faced with? Hunger. Right? Maybe that's why we like this story so much. This story, really, get down to it, it's, it's a universal story. And that's not so true with all the other miraculous signs that Jesus does in the stories that we find about Jesus in the Bible, right? They don't necessarily connect with our everyday lives, right? Not many of us are blind in need of sight. Not many of us are deaf. Not many of us can't walk. Not many of us are, uh, you know, have evil spirits living inside of us, hopefully. Uh, not, many of us, not many of us are bent over with back pain. Not many of us have been bleeding for 12, for 12 years. Not many of us are stuck in a boat out in the middle of the lake with a raging storm happening. Maybe those things are a little bit removed from our everyday experiences. But hunger, hunger, that's a whole different deal altogether. We all know it and feel it and experience it every day. Every day, hunger returns. And since I've said that word hunger over and over again, perhaps you're thinking about lunch and maybe you're a little bit hungry right now. And hunger pushes us toward the things that we think will satisfy us, that we think will fulfill us, fill us up. What are you hungry for? It's such a good question because it's a question that goes beyond that which we need to give our body fuel and energy. It goes beyond that three o'clock snack that we all have in the afternoon when we're getting kind of tired and we just need a little boost so that we can make it to dinner. If we allow it, it's a question that really goes to the deepest parts of ourselves and it, it sort, of, sort of tugs on the things that drive us. What are you hungry for? What accomplishment are you feasting on? Hoping that one day it will give you that sense of fulfillment that you hunger for. What activity do you devour? Hoping that one day it will just make you feel complete. What kinds of things do you stuff your life with? Hoping that one day it will make you feel like you finally arrived and everybody else will look at you with envy. What relationship are you pursuing? Hoping that one day it will finally make you feel whole. See, these are all hunger questions. Right? Questions that go to the deepest parts of ourselves. They tug on that which drives us. What are you hungry for? Jesus was familiar with hungry people. Right? John's version of this story, Jesus feeding the 5,000, shows us that. And at this point in John's story about Jesus' life, he was like at the top of his game. Like, this is like rock star Jesus. He's, he's like at the, the pinnacle of his career as a wandering teacher and as a healer. Like He's famous at this point. John tells us that great crowds are following him. Great crowds. His miracles attracted crowds. His political speeches silenced the religious leaders of his day. There was like a buzz about Jesus at this time, right? This guy's different. Like, he's the one. 
He's the real deal. And so they followed. Like his TikTok page was followed by, you wouldn't, you wouldn't believe how many people. Like his Twitter page was just blowing up. He had all the friends on Facebook, right? He was famous. People followed. So Jesus and his disciples, they cross the Sea of Galilee and they go up to the top of a hill. We're not quite sure why they went there. Maybe they just wanted to be alone for a while. Maybe Jesus was tired from doing all these miraculous signs and healing people. Maybe they were hiding from the religious people, the religious leaders of his day, who already at this point in the story were trying to find a way to kill him, to get rid of him. Right? Maybe they were just going up there to pray. I don't know. It doesn't really matter because a great crowd of people show up excited about the miracles that Jesus had performed on the sick. Those people had found him. This wasn't just a little Jesus fan club, stadium full of people. We're talking about 10, 12, 15,000 people. So here we are, thousands of hungry people, hungry for whatever Jesus was going to give them. So Jesus, at this point in the story, he senses an opportunity to sort of send an important message to the crowd. And he begins to perform, I think, his most impressive miracle yet. Right? He takes five loaves of bread and two fish. See, Andrew had talked a, a little boy into giving up his sack lunch, which was very generous of that young person. So he says to the disciples, have the people sit down. And then he gives thanks for the bread and he breaks it and he distributes it to all the people who are sitting there, as much as they wanted, John tells us. And then he does the same with the fish. And here's the crazy thing. It feeds everybody. Everybody has enough. In fact, there's so much, there's leftovers. And he's like, we can't let any of this be wasted. Collect them in baskets so that they can be eaten later. Right? Twelve basketfuls. Now, at this point in the story, where I think it's important for us to recognize something in, inside of ourselves. Because I think there's something inside of us that wants to paint Jesus, the, the divine, in a, in a very attractive way. There's something about this that makes us go, ooh, I like this. Right? But sometimes the most attractive things can be dangerous as well. And there's something inside of us that wants to see Jesus the one who can heal the sick, the one who can walk on water, the one who can raise the dead, the same way the crowd saw him. What are they looking for? What are they hungry for? Why are they there? See, there's this temptation, I think, for us to see Jesus as the one who is simply here to give us what we need and to just make our little troubles go away. Like we want to use Jesus almost. That's how the crowd saw him. We know this. John makes it clear. They wanted to then drag him off, put a crown on his head, and make him king. Make him king by force. They're thinking to themselves, man, if we can just get this guy in power, life will be much, much better. Like We can have everything we want. We can have all sorts of things. If he can feed this many people with that small little lunch, just Think about what Jesus can do for us. Now, if we're honest with ourselves and the people around us, we often see the divine like this. We often see God like this. We often see Jesus like this. We often come after 
Jesus with the same sort of attitude because we hunger, if we're really honest about it, we hunger after all sorts of things, don't we? Right? We hunger after financial security. We hunger for some sort of physical health. We hunger for peaceful relationships, life-giving relationships. We hunger after things like recognition. Right? And it's like our lives we walk through our lives and it's like this big shopping spree going after all of these things. We're trying to fill our lives with all these things. Like we're consumers. It's like the air that we breathe. Our culture has taught us that that's what we, that's what we are. At our core, we consume. Right? Think about this for a little bit. Big warehouse stores like Sam's Club. Think about what that is. Right? It allows us to walk up and down the aisles loading up on things at bargain prices. But the thing is, is we have to buy it in bulk. We have to buy a whole ton of it in order to get the good prices. So what they're doing is they're selling to us, right alongside of the stuff that we're purchasing, they're selling to us the idea that our life will be more fulfilled and better if we just buy more and more and more and more and more. They offer anything. They offer everything. You can go to Costco and, and buy a coffin they sell that there. They sell anything and everything. Think about that. Author Timothy Merrill says that for many of us, shop for fulfillment like we shop for groceries. Right, we'll walk through life loading up our massive carts with things we hope will cure our hunger. Right? Our hunger for perfect families, our happy marriages, nice retirement a long, full life. Sometimes we'll offer classes on that kind of stuff and we load up. How do you have the perfect Christian marriage? And how do you, you know, sometimes we do this, right? And at some point, after hearing rumors about his, rumors about his power, talk about his miracles, eventually we get to Jesus. Oh yeah, Jesus. And just like everything else, we sort of throw Jesus in the cart along with all of the other stuff that we're consuming in order to give us a sense of fulfillment. We want to make Jesus king of our lives just so that we can get what we want. More of that miracle bread. And in the end, the process doesn't fulfill us like we thought it would. John tells us that Jesus sensed the crowd's desire to throw them in their cart and just anoint him as king so that they can get what they want. That's what the people did. Threw them in their cart so that they can get what they want. And what Jesus knew is that while people were amazed by his miracles, they were totally missing the message. See, Jesus didn't come to help people get what they want. Jesus didn't come to help us get what we want. Jesus came to be what we want. Jesus came to be what we want. Jesus didn't come. He didn't come to crank out all the little things that will satisfy our lives. Jesus came to be the one who satisfies our lives. Jesus came to be the bread that we feast on. A little while later, he says, I am the bread 
of life, a little tease for what's coming. I am the bread of life. What does that even mean? Jesus is bread. Jesus is food. Jesus is the thing that we need to eat. Jesus is the one that we feast on. What does that even mean? All good questions that we're not going to talk about right now, we'll get to them. See, I'm telling you, there's a progression to this. Dipping our toe in the water. A little introduction as we begin to think about some of these ideas. And hopefully you're hungry enough to come back next week and listen to the next one. But for now, honestly, I think we have enough to think about. We'll have at least a week's worth of thinking about that question. What are you hungry for? What are we filling our lives with hoping that it will give us a sense of wholeness? What are we filling our lives with hoping it will give us a sense of of fulfillment? What are we filling our lives with hoping that it will give us a sense of satisfaction? And could it be that since we're always hungry, always looking for fulfillment, always looking for satisfaction in some way, could it be that what we're constantly filling our lives with, chasing after, grabbing, and filling our lives with, isn't really the kind of food that can satisfy. Oh, what are you hungry for? Then come back next week and we'll continue.